Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot. Connect to more. It's 4 o'clock. Welcome to Tutel and Nuanes, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN Radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWX Television. I like football! Now, sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. Hello, Montana. The Bobcats have a scrimmage tomorrow. The Seahawks have a Sunday night football game Sunday. And the NBA Finals have a Game 5 and perhaps a final game tonight. It is Tutel and Nuanas 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television across the state. Outstanding to be with you on this Friday afternoon. Thanks for letting us roll along with you wherever you are, whatever you're cruising around to. We appreciate being there with you. If you want to listen live on the World Wide Web, you can do that. You go to our website, 1029ESPN.com. You'll check the Listen Live tab. It'll uh, drop down the stream you jump in the stream and you can listen to this station anytime in our show when it's live uh, right there from the comfort of your own well device computer etc the stream is available thanks to opportunity bank of montana opportunity bank your local bank your opportunity if you want to pick up your phone and call 361-3688 the phone number 361-3688 is the phone number all guests join us via the rangich brothers rv phone line if you want to text 
that phone line as well. You certainly can do that. In the show today, plenty to get to. We're going to start off with some more sound from Jeff Choate from his uh, Zoom conference call uh, yesterday, I guess it was. Uh, We played you some sound uh, from this yesterday, but we have a little bit more to get to and more specifically about the game tomorrow and kind of the state of affairs when it comes to Bobcat football. So we will open the show with that in about a half an hour as we do every Friday, 12 for the 12s, the Seattle Seahawks prime time. Against the Minnesota Vikings. Woo, Coulter, you and I. A little little, little uh, side bet going on on this thing. Uh, excited about the football game, though, for a Sunday nighter for the Seattle Seahawks and Minnesota Vikings. I think this is going to be a really good game. I think this is going to be a more competitive game than maybe would, would the national scope might think about it. I think Minnesota is a team that has improved, actually, over the first four games, starting to figure out the right way to you know manage the team that they have. Obviously, Jefferson coming out in a big way in Seattle has been unstoppable offensively. I don't expect that to change, but they also have not been stopping anyone defensively, and I also don't expect that to change. So where does that leave us for Sunday? We'll talk to Mike Dugar about that. We also get into a little bit of NBA game five tonight. We will have that for you here on ESPN Radio. Top of the hour. We'll join the three Garden City coaches of the AA football teams in this town. McMorris, Dane, Oliver, Matt Johnson. Crosstown rivalry game tonight between the Hellgate Knights and Sentinel Spartans in Washington Grizzly Stadium. That's going to be a great game, and this will be the final uh, say, you know, in terms of, uh, of the Crosstown rivalry, in terms of uh, 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 who is the winner of it. If Sentinel wins, they're 2-0, and and they are uh, the city champion. Certainly, they are favored to win in that football game. Matt Johnson and his Big Sky Eagles, they are also hosting at Missoula County Stadium tonight. Helena Capital coming to town. Both teams one and three headed into this football game. So a big night in the city of Missoula. Some home games here uh, for all three teams uh, this evening at the AA level. Also, every Friday, of course, the chick who doesn't know sports, what would a Friday be without our friend Carolyn showing up and uh, hanging out with us? So there you go. That is our show for the day. Uh, We uh, will get into it right after we do what we do each and every Friday at the start of this madness, and that is take a moment to to get our minds right and take a little Florence Coffee Company coffee break. Coulter, I couldn't wait today. I went over there. Now, I had a little coffee earlier. In fact, I had a couple of coffees earlier, and I was like, man, if I if I do another coffee, could go bad for me. It's a nice day. I know we're into autumn. It feels still somewhat summery. Evidently, that's going to change over this weekend. So I said, let me get a Huckleberry smoothie. Just give me one more of these Huckleberry smoothies. You know what I mean? So we can get one of those going. You got yourself a nice coffee. It's the weekend coming up. In fact, it's here, right? It's here officially. Go to the Florence Coffee Company and get yourself a Florence Coffee Company coffee spiced latte, orange, pumpkin spice, and all that. The other thing, and this is very cool, here's what you want to do. They are doing a, what do do they call it? A a dress up your pet, okay? You take your dog through the drive-thru at the Florence Coffee Company. Don't do it during the morning rush, okay? They're not going to do it during the morning rush, but if you bring in a pet all October that's in costume, right, as we lead up towards Halloween, they're going to take a photo. They're going to post it on Facebook, and you are going to, uh, you know, be in the running for a ton of great prizes. You can find more online, FlorenceCoffee.com. So go on to the Florence Coffee Company website and check that out. But that's a pretty fun thing they got going on. And shoot, a great excuse to go in and get a great drink. They got kiosks all over Western Montana, so you're close to one right now. Might as well start your weekend off right the way we have with a Florence Coffee Company coffee drink. Huckleberry smoothie, as I've done, or whatever else it is that you're in the mood for, they got it there for you. Coulter, plenty to get to today. First of all, we got our 
We got Jeff Choate, the head coach of the Montana State Bobcats. Obviously, Montana State playing tomorrow. You've talked a little bit about this. A new Big Sky breakdown going to be around here in a little bit, going through this game a little bit. But what do you expect to see? Because this is, again, I, I'm, I'm happy about this game. It's going to be very live. Like It's going to be 100% live in terms of the, the action on the field. But also, it's going to play out much more like a regular football game was. What do you think you're going to see tomorrow out of Montana State in this in this one and only scrimmage that we're going to have of actually live football in the fall? Well, I think that the evolution of the Montana State program and the way that they operate these sorts of, we'll call them activities, uh, these sorts of engagements. When, when Jeff Joe first got to Montana State, it was fire and brimstone and just Warpath. I mean, his first fall camp. Let's let's go back for a, a few. I had come from covering the University of Montana during Bobby Houck's height of heights, where every practice was two and a half hours long. Yeah, every practice was full contact. Every practice was ones versus ones or ones versus the top scout team. And the top scout team was not the bunch of freshmen. It was basically ones versus all the dudes who don't start. And it was like full on. You'd have at least a 10 to 15 minute live session all the time. I just thought that's how college football was. Then I went to go cover Central Washington Division II team. A little bit less, but still quite a bit of contact and quite a bit of um, live sessions and team sessions. I got to Montana State. And when I first got to Montana State, Certainly not nearly what the Hauk days were, but nothing startling in terms of on the other side of that. But then it slowly started progressing toward no contact whatsoever. And it was like thud at practice every day, and they never went live. The only times they'd ever go live was during spring game and the last fall scrimmage and then during games. And it's, it's my theory that football is very much like boxing. To learn how to get hit, you got to get hit all the time. Hitting more makes you get hurt less, not hurt more. Mm -hmm. There was very few in-practice injuries when I was covering like the 2008 and 2009 Grizz because those dudes, they knew how to respect their teammates, but they also tackle so much they know how to tackle cleanly. They're not, because they tackle every day, they're not loading up for the kill shot because they haven't tackled in three months. That's what you started to see with the Cats was, you haven't had a live session, so Alex Singleton is just chomping at the bit. And then when he gets to finally go live, he like kills his teammate, and that's not good for anybody because now all of a sudden yeah. you got guys at the very least banged up, sometimes seriously hurt. And so then when Choke got there, he said, well, this is not happening. These guys don't run for conditioning. What? These guys don't hit? We're going straight, burning it down, warpath for the fall camp. Well, that bit them bad the first year. They started 0-6 yeah. in Big Sky Conference play because their five best defensive ends got hurt during fall camp, four of which had season-ending injuries. What I'm getting at is that Choate is still has very physical, very high-intensity practices, but they've really pared it back. It's not nearly the intensity that it first was when he got there. And when it comes to these public displays, it's often very, the word you hate, vanilla. Mm. It's often very by the book, not a lot of creativity. And it's often very limited in the big-time players. Choate really... He really uh, got he really got gun shy of these sorts of things when Jacob Hadley was having the best spring of probably anybody on the Montana State defense going into his sophomore year. This was the spring of I guess it would have been 2018, and then he blew his knee horrifically in the Sunny Hall and spring game, and it took the kid more than a year to recover from it. And Choate at that moment decided, well, we we don't need to lose frontline top level starters during a scrimmage. So then they started pairing their their number one guys out. That's all to say, 
that usually these things are a little bit boring. Usually there's not a lot to see. But here's what Montana State's done. And we talked about this extensively on the Big Sky Breakdown. So if you want a little bit more of an in-depth look at what I'm speaking to, Montana State, when they first started rebuilding the program, they were going to ride the, the Montana guys they already had in the program and just sell them on what Choate wanted the program to be all about. And then they were going to fill in the holes that they had with guys who could play immediately, mostly Power 5, Pac-12, University of Washington transfers. They had a lot of success with that. Some of their best players, Bryce Sturk, Travis Johnson, these guys were drop-downs from the Pac-12 ranks. They, they've been recruiting at a really high level at the high school level as well, but the retention of so many of the headliner type recruits that they've gotten was really poor honestly a lot of the guys weren't staying around they were getting guys like Malik Puntley and Donnie Long these three-star guys that were they were beating FBS schools for they were in Bozeman for half a second sometimes not even come you know like Donnie Long no-showed he didn't even show up Malik Putney was there non-qualifier he's out goes with JC now he's playing at UNLV regardless They've now adjusted it to fit their program a little bit more to get guys that can come in and be program guys, be developmental. But where we're at now, though, is coming into year five under Jeff Choate, now you finally have some guys that have been not playing, not because they're bad, but only because they're young. Mm. Montana State was in this position where the good guys were good, the other guys weren't very good, and all the guys that weren't very good, you just had to make sure that the guys that were good didn't get hurt because you don't want the other guys playing. Now they're to the point where you got guys that have not been playing only because the guy ahead of him is so good. Like yeah. Demarius Hosey, running back, for example. The only reason he didn't get a t- – he played in four games last year. He rushed for over 300 yards. They wanted to maintain his red shirt, though, because why wouldn't you? You got Isaiah Fonse. You got Logan Jones. You don't need this kid this year, but he's a really talented guy. You know They have Kevin Cassis and Travis Johnson last year, so Jaden Smith, a wide receiver, he doesn't need to play. But it's only because they don't have the necessity. That's the poor point of a program you want to get to. And so now, usually when you see – when, when you hear the narrative, oh, we're going to watch the young guys play, it's it's that we're going to watch the young, undeveloped guys play. So it's just going to be a different level and not as good a level of football. Well, now you're going to watch the young, really talented guys yeah. play. That's what I'm excited for because I think that Choate wants to roll out all these really talented kids. And this is going to be the first time because you got to think, they've been in Bozeman since last summer. This is going to be the first time for the community to really see these guys after they've been in a part of the program. So that's what I'm excited for. Here is some sound from Jeff Choate. This is just the intro to kind of what he said where he sort of laid the framework for, uh, well, everything that goes into this weekend and then in general covers a lot of different topics within this soundbite, a couple minutes long. So go here we go with Jeff Choate, just his opening comments from yesterday. So uh, kind of the culmination of this, uh, you know, awkward, weird fall football season in the big sky here for 20. Uh, and it's uh, it's been good. I mean, we've uh, – the one – I'll tell you what, we can't complain about the weather. I think we had three or four days of snow practice by this time last year, and I'm pretty convinced that had we actually played football this fall, we would have had three or four days of snow practice by this time too. So uh, weather's been awesome. Uh, We've had a lot of stuff going on at the stadium. Progress is great to see between the construction of the the, uh, uh, Bobcat Athletic Complex, and then we had some repairs done to our turf. We'd had some issues with drainage that was important for us to get resolved before we try to play football in the spring because uh, usually the weather isn't the issue for us in terms of being able to practice outside. It's usually the playing surface. And, and if the playing surface doesn't drain, then it just freezes and thaws, freezes and thaws. And so going in the morning in particular, that could have been an issue. So we've primarily been out on the big chunk of grass. And uh, I think it's been good. I really do. I think 
starting to see some progress, starting to see the offense gel a little bit more, knowing that was going to take some time with Justin kind of blending some of his ideas with what we've done in the past, as well as some terminology things. And um, when you're not trying to win fall practice, um, mixing and matching personnel doesn't create the continuity maybe sometimes that you would like, but you're starting to see some of that come around. And um, what we tried to do, and this is going to be tested hard because we've got a lot of – not so much injuries, but we did some elective surgery stuff. Um, we've got some guys that are out because of COVID contacts, not COVID positive, just COVID contact that's kept them out. Those 14 day deals. And it seems like everything's centered around the front of our defense. So Troy Anderson hasn't gone in the, in the fall. Amandre Williams would have gone had we played, but when they announced we wouldn't play, we got some elective surgery done on his wrist. So he, you won't see him same exact thing with Daniel Hardy. Uh, had a kind of a knee clean out that we could have waited on, but we went ahead and got that done. So you won't see him on Saturday. Um, on the interior D line, Chase Benson and John Clark, kind of the two old dogs on our front. We're just not going to play him. There's just no, no value to be had there. Chase tweaked his back a little bit in the weight room the other day. And I think he'd be good to go if we were playing for real on Saturday, but to level out our teams, when Chase went down, we had to kind of take away the other experienced interior D lineman on that side. Tua Retta's got a, uh, uh, kind of had an elective surgery deal. Blake Schmitz got some stuff going on with that COVID contact thing. Not a positive thing. It's just, you know, being in proximity to somebody and had to sit out for 14 days. So you can kind of hear what I'm saying. It's like there's going to be a very thin and depleted defensive front on both teams. But we still felt like the best way for us to approach this was to split our teams. So we divided the staff. I think you saw the press release that, uh, that Bill put out. Divided the staff and had them draft the teams. And uh, a lot of uh, rock, paper, scissors, and a little bit of man, woman, bear to decide how the draft order would go. And uh, clearly, Coach Udy's team was better at rock, paper, scissors. And they ended up with the first-round pick in the offensive draft as well as the defensive draft and in the kicker draft. And so, uh, on paper, if you're a Vegas, you know, if you're looking at the Vegas line, they probably have the early edge. But, uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see. Uh, It's going to be fun. I I really compare this to more like an all-star game format. We've limited the amount of pressures that the defense can bring. Uh, we've limited the offense's ability to use tempo with the exception of the last four minutes of each half. We are going with the running clock outside of the last four minutes of each half. And so um, I think that'll level the playing field, allow us to not get too many reps, and really honestly just let the kids go have some fun. That's uh, kind of what we're looking at, trying to get out of here as healthy as we can so that we can get into an extended training block in the weight room. Uh, because of this awkward time, we really haven't been in the weight room since June. Um, we kind of had our little COVID surge back in July and we made it a point to do most of our, well, all of our training outside after that. And so we haven't been in a traditional weight room environment consistently since June. And I think our guys will really benefit from a little bit of time in the weight room, um, before we get to the end of the semester. You know, one thing that he didn't touch on there at the end about the weight room thing, and he went, you heard him go into all the stuff about some of the elective surgeries, some of the COVID tracing stuff. So, you know, he covered all that stuff, I think, because, you know, this is the only thing. It's not even a, a, a quote unquote real game. And all this stuff is going to be inconsequential by the time real football rolls around, whether that's in the spring or in the fall. Uh, but one thing that you have been surprised by is that they have basically not been lifting as he said really since since last spring or something like that and you asked him about that directly in the course of this conversation and and his response was like you know guys lifting whether they are whether they aren't you you said do you think they're lifting on their own he's like well i don't know (laughs) some are maybe some some are some are some are but 
he did make the point, and I thought this was an interesting one. What you need is a lifting block of like six weeks where you all go in, go hard, have the intense lifting, you know, with 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 your strength coach and everything like that, where it's it's not just going in and pounding out some reps and calling it a day. It's actually going in with a focus directed and pushed sort of agenda, physical and muscle agenda to get to a point where you are where you are are peaking because you go through peaks and valleys in in lifting people who lift you know a lot and stuff like that you, it's not just linear in that way and so i understand that nonetheless like seems like i don't, I don't know if taking time off from lifting but not not lifting on the regular or as a group or as a team is somewhat surprising isn't it it's it's utterly surprising to me it's shocking I don't think we have enough time to talk about my opinions on this. Well, of course not, so, because you love the lift. I, I just think that one of the main reasons that I think that the tr- I think that strength training at the Division One college level is very, very filled with trends. I think the trends that have encompassed and defined the last ten years have not been what I would say would be the most effective for the sport of football. I think they're the most effective for the auxiliary portions of football, for the speed portions of football, for some injury prevention portions of football, but not others. To me, the fact that there's way less pulled hamstrings than there's ever been before in college football is a good thing. There's a lot of dynamic stretching going on. There's a lot of functional movement. There's a lot of hip flexibility training. That's why guys are faster. That's good. The, the fact of the matter, though, is that almost every single dude who plays a contact, like a, a true striking position, like offensive or defensive line or linebacker or running back, it's not a coincidence to me that it seems as if the majority, the vast majority of these guys are going to have at least one, if not multiple, labrum surgeries on their shoulders. It's a give and take because a labrum surgery is a lot easier to recover from. It is a give and take. I, I, just, I do think that, I think that guys have more wear and tear minor injuries like a torn labrum because they don't do as much heavy lifting as they used to. Hmm. But I also think that they probably are a lot more fluid in the hips and things like that. But the, the, the irony of it all is that the injury prevention makes the game, the injury prevention strategy makes the game so much faster that then you can strike guys at such a higher level. And so then the catastrophic injuries are actually higher, even though you're prioritizing injury prevention. Regardless, I, I just think it's, I've been thinking about this a lot. In terms of the way you observe these guys, the it, the the narrative that everybody's bigger, faster, and stronger. I think that the narrative is not true at the Big Sky Conference level. I think the guys are recruited as being bigger, faster, and stronger, but they don't really get that much bigger. They do get faster and they get a little bit stronger, but not as much as you would think. I think that most people out there would be surprised. Like I bet you that there's not a lot of guys on the Grizz football team that like bench press 400 pounds. Yeah. Where, but like when I was in school, there was a lot of guys. Like Croy Bierman was definitely benching 450 pounds. Jesse and, Sims. <laughs> but but that, that's a, there's a, there's a great example though. There is a great example. Jesse Sims is so 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 strong compared to his peers. I still bet you he's not in terms of his pure maxes maxing as much as guys were 20 years ago. Yeah. But he also is moving around a lot more functionally. Jesse Sims can likely touch his toes. Jesse Sims does not have a 40-pound gut that he has to shed the day no he doubt. graduates. So it's better for your health, no question. I just think there's a lot of give and take. Sutel Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Uh, Mike Dugar, 
who uh, covers the Seattle Seahawks for the Athletic, going to join us in about 10 minutes. But want to continue here, hear a little bit more from Jeff Choate. One question is, what's the point of this game? What are you trying to get out of it? Well, I think it allows you a lot like spring ball. Um, it allows you to identify some depth, maybe find some young guys that are ready to come out in and help. You know, when really in our situation, you kind of got, you know, we had that four game rule. Well, that's not even coming into a play in the spring. So we could play kids in every game. Obviously, everybody uh, close to our program is going to be curious about the quarterback situation. And I think that this maybe doesn't necessarily resolve our quarterback battle. I think that'll continue into the spring. But I do think it gives us a starting point because we didn't really have that without having spring ball last year. And so I think it's definitely been valuable for us in a variety of ways, identifying some depth, identifying some playmakers, uh, forming a seating chart, so to speak, not necessarily a depth, depth chart, but a seating chart as we go into uh, our winter time. So there you go. It's, it's sort of stack the deck a little bit, trying to figure out just an initially kind of where you're at heading into then spring. Also had a question just about what is this game going to look like? We already talked about sort of functionally what it's going to look like, but from an intensity level. So I asked this question. When it comes to the intensity level, if if a game day atmosphere against an actual other opponent is 100%, what percent do you expect or even want your guys to be at in this? Oh, I, I'm, I expect them to be excited to play. I do. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think that the, I, I, you know, clearly you can't say that 20,000 people creating energy for you can't enhance the endorphins flowing and the adrenaline and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, but I, I think our kids will be excited to play. And I think as the competition goes on, I think the second half in particular, the fourth quarter, if it's close, I mean, I think we're going to find out who the competitors are. And I think we've got a lot of those guys on our roster. So I think it'll be fun. I mean, I, and quite honestly, that's, you know, I know that was kind of the release, but, I mean, that's the objective. You know, let's go enjoy this. Let's go compete, have fun. We'll structure it so everybody gets an opportunity to get out there and show us what they can do. Um, but this isn't the end-all, be-all. I'm not deciding who we're going to pencil in as a starter in February based on what happens here in October. So a couple of, couple of thoughts from him there. One final thought just quickly, and then we can, you know, wrap this thing up. But he was asked specifically about Troy Anderson. What's his status going to be for – I mean, he was supposed to not be playing now. Well, guess what? Nobody is. So can he play in the spring? Where are we at with him? That's what he had to say. Yeah, he's doing great. Um, I don't know that – he's been back to Minnesota. That's where he had his original surgery done. He's, go, he's been back there once, and I think he's planning to go back, I want to say right around the end of October again. And at that point, he should be cut loose to start doing some more running and cutting and some of those types of things. And so um, all indications are that the surgery went very well and that he's progressing exactly like he should, if not being ahead a little bit. I know he's frustrated and ready to get that thing off and go do his thing, and, but we're not in any hurry. I mean, I do not – let me just say this. You know, I do not anticipate Troy participating on in competitions in the spring. Um but when we get our guns loaded for the fall of 21 and we play a full schedule, I think we've got a chance to be a pretty special outfit. So there you go. Jeff Choate adding a little something at the end, more than just Troy Anderson saying, Hey, wait till, wait till, wait till it's all hands on deck next fall. I think it's going to be big time. And, and uh, again, we talked about this extensively yesterday uh, or maybe even earlier today. It's all flowing together for me, but everybody should be the best they've ever been next fall, right? Just about. I mean, yeah. unless you lose Trey Lance to the NFL like NDSU, but you're talking about a bunch of seniors that should be graduated that are going to be playing their senior year and a bunch of juniors that are effectively seniors playing with them, you know? So, I mean, it is it is 
loaded up, buddy, in terms of both experience, talent, impro- presumably improvement uh, over the course of time, and and uh, what you can have as a football team, both in terms of your top end talent and then especially your depth, is uh, should be at an all time high in the fall of twenty twenty one. If everybody was to stick around, Montessi would have forty four seniors now. That's not going to happen. We've already seen the removal of a few guys from the roster who have just graduated, for example. I'm not actually, I haven't gotten full clearance from Montana State to report anything, but I do know of at least two guys that were, uh, they graduated that are just, you know, going on to the next phase of their lives. But either way, it's true. I think that everybody has a chance because we talk about injuries so much in college football, and they're a huge part of it. They are. There's such varying levels of injury, too. Everybody's hurt. Everybody that plays is hurt during college during a college football season. It's a matter of if they're injured and they can't play. Mm-hmm. But you're hurting. And when you have to go from, say you make a deep playoff run, and then you go home for Christmas break, and then you come back, and now you're in winter conditioning. And then you get done with winter conditioning, you jump into spring ball. You get done with spring ball, you jump into player run practices and summer training. And then you go into fall camp. You've never had a chance to just not do anything and get right. And now you do have a chance to get right. And Troy Anderson has, you know, did, he never, it's not even just getting right. It's not even just getting healed. Sometimes you don't have a chance to even develop or improve. Yeah. Like Troy Anderson coming out of his sophomore year, he's got surgery on his shoulder. So now he doesn't get to participate in the spring. So he's not getting any better. He's just standing there. Yeah. Muscle atrophy, losing weight, all that stuff. Now, though, Everybody has a chance to fully heal from their surgery and then fully get a chance to train and then fully be at their best selves. And that's where it's like, you you know this, as a young man, the way your body starts to rapidly develop, everybody talks about a you know, young, skinny kid, hard to put on weight when you're 18, 19. Well, then when you're 20, 21, then it starts getting easier. Then when you're 23, 24, all of a sudden, it's really easy. And then you get to be our age and you're like, well, now I got to figure out how to lose weight. Mm. But- Imagine a guy like Sammy and Kim, like a di- the, for the Grizz. The difference between him at 22 and 23, 23 and 24, you start to just, Develop. Phys- yeah, just yeah. physically well, mature and blossom. And then all of a sudden you could just be so impressive. And that that's the part that I think that all the coaches, they're trying to figure out a way to load up to that at the best they possibly can. And that's why I think if we do have a couple games in the spring or six games or eight games or whatever, you're going to see a lot of lesser known guys playing because no one is going to, it's because it's a zero year because no one's losing a year of eligibility. You're not going to want anybody to get hurt. That's going to impact the fall. You want those guys to be a hundred percent ready to roll in the fall tomorrow, two o'clock. You can watch it on YouTube. If you would like to stream the, uh, the fall game uh, for Montana state, uh, what MSU Bobcats athletics, I think is uh, what what you need to type in there. That's where they're going to have that thing uh, on YouTube, or on, uh, you can Google it and find it that way. But two o'clock is when that thing is scheduled to start tomorrow afternoon. Quick break. On the other side, Mike Dugar from the Athletic joins us. Twelve for the twelves. The Seattle Seahawks hosting the Minnesota Vikings Sunday night football. Going to get you all set for it next. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. 
Blackfoot. Connect to more. Seahawks fans, this is the time for you each and every Friday. Spend 12 minutes for the 12s. And we bring in someone who actually knows something about this stuff, Mike Dugar. He covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic. You can read everything he writes there. You can also listen to him on the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mike Dugar as well. So we go to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line, and we welcome in our friend Mike Dugar, 412 for the 12s. And Mike, just briefly, let's go back to a week ago, the trip to Miami. Uh, The Seahawks didn't look uh, as sharp as they've looked, but they looked sharp enough. I know Russell had the one, you know, obviously red zone or in the end zone interception, but still scored 31 points and beat a team that is, you know, on the come up, but an inferior, you know, team to uh, the Seattle Seahawks to get to four zero. What is your biggest takeaway from uh, the last week's win? Um, that Florida probably should not have fans in its stadium. Uh, that's that's kind of my my general thing. I was walking around Fort Lauderdale uh, the night before the game, and I had a mask on, and the people I was with had masks on, but it was like fifty fifty with the mask in very crowded areas. is very 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 scary. Everyone I encountered at the game had masks on. Um, I think they had to to get in, uh, but it was still a very, like, scary scene knowing what, what state we were in. Also, Seahawks fans traveled well to Miami, uh, which I wrote about on The Athletic. Uh, as, for, as for the game, the main thing is it was nice to see two things. Um, it was nice to see them be able to run the ball a little bit better than they have in previous games because, you know, teams are going to prepare for um, – you know, Russell killing them deep, so they're going to try to combat that. Thankfully, for Seattle, the Dolphins are bad at stuff, even if they know it's coming from the offense. Uh, the other thing was, like, not giving up a bunch of points in the red zone. I think they gave up that one garbage-time touchdown. Now, they shouldn't have gave that up either. Um, but I think uh, when I used to cover Idaho, Paul Petrino used to call – he didn't just use the red zone. He used to call anything inside, like, the 35 uh, critical zone, which I actually thought was a good way of putting that because you should score once you get inside there. Uh, so every time the Dolphins got into the critical zone, I think it was five times, they kicked five field goals. Um, that That's a good defense. I mean, that's at least a good defense, right? It's not A great defense would be not letting them get there. But I think they only forced one Miami punt. Uh, but I thought that was the probably the most encouraging sign I've seen from the defense all year. When it comes to this game on Sunday night uh, against Minnesota, I want to get into it broadly. But first, what's Jamal Adams' status for this football game? You know, I had heard before the Miami game that he wasn't going to play until after the bye. I mean, and if you watched him, I watched the broadcast version of the Dallas game in which he got hurt. Like, he was, he couldn't walk. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> like, it was a weird move and non-contact. It was funky. Yeah, and I haven't even necessarily seen the play that he got hurt on. Um, but I do, when they was watching on the sideline, I was like, oh, that dude's in some pain. Like, that's not just a, oh, he'll be back next week. That's a, let's make sure he can just even change direction in two weeks before we even throw him uh, back out there. So they won't have Jamal, um, but they will have Ryan Neal, who uh, a guy I wrote about this week on The Athletic. There's a really interesting kind of backstory of perseverance, uh, very similar to Shaquem Griffin, I would I would say. Not in that, you know, Ryan is missing a hand, but like in both of them, they seem to get better at whatever they're trying to accomplish when they fail first. Um, and that whether they like to admit that or not, and failing probably sucks. Um, they both got to the place they're at now. Um, you know, playing in primetime on Sunday night because they failed. They failed first, 
and then they were able to recover. So I actually like Ryan Neal's backstory. Decent player. Um, so yeah, he'll be starting to play with Jamal Sunday night. Speaking of guys that are injured, I know he wasn't as severely injured, but Chris Carson being back and being really productive, just getting him a little bit closer to full health and having him add that level of productivity out of the backfield for Seattle, how much does that improve their offensive scheme in general and just their offensive production? I mean, really, they should put up some points today with whoever gets on the gets on the field. I think I think la- their last games against Minnesota have been uh, kind of weird. They've needed some funky, like, big plays, but they've been able to combat whatever Minnesota has, like, brought them. Uh, so I think, yeah, this, this I think I wrote my preview this week. They should have a big, big day on the ground. I think last year, if you guys remember, um, Seattle was on a heater when they played Minnesota. I think it was on Monday night in, like, week 12 or 13. And Mike Zimmer was like, you know what, screw this. We're going to play a bunch of cover two. Wrestling but to throw on us. And it actually worked pretty well, um, you know, relatively speaking. And what happened was Chris Carson and Rashad Penny had, like, a buck 70 on the ground. <laughs> and so it was like, well, damn. You know, pick your poison. I think it'll be a lot of that with the backfield tonight. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, both backs um, or anyone who gets a handoff today is over, like, 75 yards. Like, it, it, it might be that type of day for this offense. Mike Dugard joining us, 12 for the 12s. We do this every Friday with him. He covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. Go read him at The Athletic. Uh, subscribe there and and, uh, and read his stuff. And obviously follow along on Twitter at Mike Dugard uh, as well. Mike the Vikings, they're they're one in three. They lost by one point two weeks ago. They looked abysmal in the first couple of weeks, but feel like they're a team that's starting to figure it out. Obviously, the emergence of Jefferson and the choice to actually give the ball to your best player and Dalvin Cook has helped their offense quite a bit. But this is a team that does have talent, and and I kind of think this game maybe is a little closer than what what maybe some people nationally think that it's going to be. What's your assessment of the Vikings heading into this one? The Vikings are a very weird team because I'm not sure if – well, sure, Dalvin, Dalvin is their best player, right? Sure, he's probably their most talented. He's not anywhere close to their most important, though, right? So um, I think, actually, if they're going to beat the Seahawks, they need to give the keys to Kirk. If they're going to turn their season around, they have to give their keys to Kirk. The throwing game is what's going to win them games, right? Because their defense is too bad to do the whole ground and pound and have the, the, to do it like Pete Carroll wants his teams to do. Like, they're just not built to do that. They have to go into every game thinking if we don't score 33, we're going to lose, right? You don't want to admit that like publicly, but like you're not stupid. They watch film like that needs to be their mentality every week. And the best way to get 33 points is not to play the possession game with, with Dalvin. It's to, it's to sling it to Justin Jefferson and, and Adam Thielen with Kirk Cousins. Now can Kirk handle that? I'm not sure, but I do know that that's a better strategy for this team moving forward. It sounds crazy because obviously Dalvin's so talented, but I mean, the best, the most efficient way to score points in the NFL is to throw it, and if you in this team needs to needs to score points to win, like a lot of points. Well, if Kirk can do it, you're not sure. I know Coulter is absolutely sure that he can't. You're talking to a a, a, a Vikings <laughs> fan here who just despises Kirk. Leave Cousins. the Vikings fan out of it. Kirk Cousins sucks, man. He objectively <laughs> sucks. He's the most overrated quarterback in the NFL, and I know Dak Prescott still plays in the NFL. Kirk Cousins is bad. I just I, I agree with what you're saying, Bradley, Mike, but I just think that you need to have the run to set up the pass because Kirk Cousins literally cannot operate in seven-step drops. He has to be running play action. That's the whole thing that opens up their receivers. I thought they looked better in the passing game the last two weeks because Dalvin Cook got loose and got going a little bit. But I want to ask you, Mike, I want to ask you about the other side because to me, as somebody that watches the Vikings every weekend, the Vikings, their biggest issue defensively is not just in a position group. It's just their inability 
to do much against the pass. They lost their two premier pass rushers from a year ago in Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin. Their secondary isn't what it was even just a couple years ago. They're solid at safety, developing but not yet great, not even yet good at corner. And Seattle has proven, I, I remember following you on Twitter, you had a great tweet that said, if there's ever anybody that could help Tyler Lockett, it was DK Metcalf. And if, the, if there's ever anybody that could help DK Metcalf, it was Tyler Lockett. To me, that seems like the most advantageous matchup for the Seahawks on offense is just their ability to go deep, go over the top, and utilize those receivers. How do you break down that element of this game? I think if like if the Vikings wanted my advice, it would be to run more of the cover two they ran last last year. It worked. They lost the game because they they weren't a good team last year. They were like, okay, I think they won 10 games. But they lost the game because they weren't better than the Seahawks, which is fine. Um, but if you look at Russ's numbers, I think he threw for, like, off the top of my head, like 240 yards, maybe 260-ish. And I think, like, 60 of those came on a broken play to David Moore that uh, they end up doing the new addition celebration in the end zone, actually, uh, from his touchdown. Like, great, great if, party if they don't that have, was. If, yeah, no, that was fantastic. But if they don't have that particular busted play for, like, 59 yards or whatever it was, then Russ has a pretty pedestrian day. He's down to, like, a touchdown and a pick and 200 and some change yards, which is a – and Tyler Lockett had zero catches that game. Like, they, what they did was effective. Now, Tyler was he – he was hurt from the uh, Niners game a few weeks prior, but, hell, he was out there. And if you're out there and somebody throws it to you, catch it. So – um, I thought that was a really effective strategy. And even Brian Schottenheimer asked him about that on Thursday this week. He was like, yeah, that, th- that caught us off guard. Um, but, you know, look, he mentioned the same thing I did. Like, we ran it down their throat when they did. They ran for like 20 yards um, because of that. Now, uh, I think they're actually better equipped, the, the Vikings are, to have more success with it this year, believe, believe it or not. Their pass defense has actually been uh, more efficient than, like, some raw numbers would suggest. I think they're, like, top 12 and in a DVOA, which is a, an efficiency metric. Uh, so I, I, if I was them, that's what I would do. Now, Tyler Lockett and DK are really freaking good, so it might not matter, but you still got to have a plan. And if I was the Vikings, that, that would be my plan. If I was Seattle, that's what I would be anticipating, which is why I wrote this morning that the, Chris Carson should have a day. Mike, I'm interested in, in Seattle just broadly for this sort of portion of their season. Obviously, if you can get to five and zero, you're set up. You're in great shape. You're you know almost certainly going to the playoffs and all that. But how big is it for this team to get to five and zero going into a bye week, coming out of that bye week, back to back divisional games, and you know the important and, and in a very very difficult division in the AFC, excuse me, the NFC West. So just this this one game in the scope of okay, now you can be perfect going into a bye and really preparing for kind of the divisional matchups that you know are going to be very physical. You know, I, I wrote a little bit about that idea this morning as well. Um, it's that not necessarily p- before the division matchup. So, like, the Seahawks don't want to live in, like, underdog territory, right? They prefer the juggernaut thing, like, generally speaking. Like, they want to be considered a favorite and a champion, whether other people do or whether they consider themselves that. And they know that if they keep winning, you know, by one possession to all of these teams that aren't the Falcons, that they're, they're going to have some flaws in their in their – in their game down the road. It's going to come back to bite them. So I wrote this morning, like, they need to just beat up on the Vikings. Right? Like, just whoop a bad team. It's okay. You're allowed to do that. I told somebody that last year, uh, <laughs> one of the defensive players. I think it was after the Vikings game. I can't remember, and I didn't record the audio. I just said, hey, man, in the locker room, I was like, you know you're allowed to blow someone out, right? And he was like, bro, we're trying, man. It's hard. 
I was like, oh yeah, no, okay. I I understand, but like you're you're killing your fan base, right? Like they're they're stressing out unnecessarily because you guys keep blowing leads. Um, so I think they need to just dead that, you know, go out there and beat up on someone who stinks. It's it, it's it's a simple concept, and like I know the NFL is, is is always close games, but look at the great teams; they do it. Like look at the Chiefs, look at the Ravens last year. I mean, look at even some, um, you know, some Patriots games from last year. Like the teams who were good and really really good and elite, they beat the snot out of other people. The Niners destroyed people like the Niners destroyed people that the Seahawks ended up playing to one possession. Right, like you, you look at how the Seahawks and the Niners both played Carolina last year with Kyle Allen. The Seahawks played them to a one possession game. The Niners beat the snot out of them. Right, like like the, the Seahawks are capable of of whooping somebody. And if you're five and zero, heading into your bye, Russ is killing, and you just played on Sunday Night Football, that's how you change the narrative right there. So give it to me. What is going to happen on Sunday night? Is this a Seahawks, you know, block party at home? They gonna they gonna whoop up on the Minnesota? Or is this going to be a game? Uh, I, as much as that, I, it would help Seattle to whoop up on them. I'm just not sure that this defense right now is capable of doing that as currently constructed. Right. Because uh, I mean, even even against the Dolphins, the Dolphins take a 20, they take a 31-15 lead with four minutes left, and then boom, ended up still in a one score game. Right. Like, how how do you let Ryan Fitzpatrick just march down the field uh, in like eight plays, 75 yards, two minutes, boom, he just scores a touchdown? Now, I don't. I think part of that is a design. Like, Pete didn't care about that touchdown. Like, I could tell because he literally did not remember it happened in his Zoom. Like, a PR guy had to say, oh, no, no, Pete, we did give up a touchdown. He was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> but, like, even if he doesn't care, like, the defenders out there don't want to give up touchdowns, right? Like, they all want to get paid and, like, have their numbers look good. That like, giving up points is not what you're supposed to do. So, um, I don't know if this defense can, can do that part because of the scheme and part because of the, the lack of the front four being able to get pass rush. They blitzed at like one of the top 10 highest rates in the league. And they're not able to do that without Jamal because he's their best blitzer. So they're not going to blitz much. That means relying on your front four, who I don't really trust, to get there consistently. Um, so I think this is probably going to be a Seahawks win that covers the spread. So that's good. 38-30, um, to 30, I'll go with Seahawks. Mike Dugar, boys and girls, nobody better. Go read him at The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Dugar and listen to his Seahawks man-to-man podcast. Get great information. A lot of Seahawks fans across the state of Montana, especially western Montana. This is the man you need to go pay attention to. Mike, always appreciate you, man. Thanks. All right. No problem. Thanks for having me. You know what's, uh, you know, the next best thing about Seattle? Besides the Seahawks? Yeah. You really think the Seahawks are the best thing about Seattle? Coulter. Don't ruin this moment, okay? I'm trying to help you. This is actually me trying to help you. Okay. The next best thing about Seattle. The teriyaki. You finally followed the breadcrumbs. No, I, I knew what you were getting at. It's really, I can't stop going in on you because I just can't, I just refuse to believe the Seahawks are good. Carry on. The teriyaki is definitely the best part about Would Seattle. Would 50 to 0 be enough for you to believe? No, because the Vikings aren't good. Boys and girls, if you go to Seattle, <laughs> you're going to watch the best team in football, and you're going to eat glorious teriyaki chicken. That's what they got. Every street corner, rice and chicken bowls, teriyaki, sweet onion, steak, the whole deal. And guess where the boys from Dobie's Teriyaki are from? Seattle, Washington. Seattle. And they're not going to like me not dogging on the Seahawks because they love the Seahawks. Well, they should love there. the Seahawks. You're the one who's lost. I you. I understand. I'm not afraid to admit that. Um but if, help them out. Give if, them, give if, them if, something. If, if you're getting lost or you're missing Seattle or you're hungry or whatever you need, go to Dobie's Teriyaki. Back at Stockman's Bar, 
Absolutely the best Seattle-style teriyaki anywhere this side of Seattle. It's delicious. It's healthy. It's filling. And right now, if you give us a call, second caller, 361-3688, we got $25 gift card to Dobie's for you. Boom. Dobie's Teriyaki, proud sponsor of the Seattle Seahawks and the 12 for the 12s. Dobie's Teriyaki, back at Stockwood's Bar, best Seattle-style teriyaki anywhere but Seattle. Game five coming up tonight. NBA Finals. Get a little bit into it next. Golter, obviously, if people are traveling, you got to have them stay somewhere else, not with you. That's true even when COVID isn't going on, and especially now. So you send them out to the Wingate. We know that. That's obvious. What you might not know is about all the meeting space they have out there, convention space, and even personal office space, because God knows I can't stand being with you any much longer. I'm going out there. I'm going to lock up my own personal office at the Wingate. You can do the same thing. If you need a business space, whether it's for yourself personally or or you're just tired of doing Zoom meetings, you just want to see other humans, but you want to be socially distanced, the Wingate has great business meeting rooms. You can space out. They have all the hookups and technology you're going to need for any sort of meeting or presentation. Or if you're like Ryan, you just want to have a place where you can work in peace and quiet, the Wingate Inn, also a great option for those that live and work around Western Montana and the city of Missoula. If you have anybody coming through town or you want to get your kids out of the house, Wingate also has awesome rooms, great business rates. The pool is back open. They've done a great job of making sure that's going to be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not. Game five, NBA Finals. Lakers up three to one. They're seven and a half point favorites tonight to get the deal done. Walk off with another Laker championship, another LeBron championship. 6.30, we will send you the bubble in Orlando. 7 o'clock opening tip here on ESPN Radio. It's Sutel Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Radio. SWX Montana Television. How you doing? At Gus Tutel at 102.9 ESPN at Skyline Sports MT, your relevant Twitter handles. Colter, I've been thinking about this game. I've been thinking about this championship. It looks inevitable. Uh, not Not tonight. I, I think the Heat have a, a great shot to, to win this game tonight. We but, do, even even with how good LeBron's been in closeout games. Yeah, no, I I I I, I the the, the respect that has grown over the past you know six six eight weeks to me for the Miami Heat. I give him I give him a very real look at winning tonight. The, the issue with the Heat, when you break this thing down matchup wise, this is the irony of it, and this is what really sucks for the Heat. Bam Adebayo is no question one of the most pivotal and important portions of the Miami Heat, everything that they do. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, with the way that their defensive zone works and the way that they choose to switch things or not switch things, when Bam is available, it actually makes their defensive rotations and everything they do defensively way more sloppy, mm-hmm. and the Lakers can exploit it. What The stat I heard on ESPN Radio earlier today was the... Heat score more in the, if you just take the one game sample size of the game that they won, scored more points per 100 possessions than any team in any game in the playoffs in that game, mm-hmm. and gave up less than any team than any play any in the playoffs in that game. But when Bam was back, then if you take the three games that he's been playing, they've been the opposite side of the spectrum. And it's just a matchup thing. It's not a, a shot at him, but you just wonder what adjustment do they make because they need to compensate for that. They they do, and I don't know if they will. I'm just speaking more about just the tenacity, the heart, the energy, the toughness. 
uh, and, and the great skill. I mean, they've played with great skill as well. I feel like that's sort of been overlooked in all of this. So I give them a very real shot to win tonight, but uh, I give them next to no shot, obviously, to come back and win the series. And I've been thinking about the Lakers being champions, and here's what occurred to me. They're two best players, the two players that, that, that everybody pays the most attention to. I have exactly opposite reactions to if they win this. If the if LeBron James wins this series, uh, he's already. I mean, we know how great he is, right? But but I, now I'm not going to go back and do the the Bill the Bill Russell and and the Wilt Chamberlain deal and have you know that sort of level of of long view on NBA history. But in the what I would say the modern age of basketball from from the 80s through today, winning a championship with the Lakers right now puts LeBron firmly and alone as the, the second greatest player of all time in the modern era. I will not be pushed off my Michael Jordan spot. But that's that's where he is at in terms of legacy. And I also just think it um, I think it puts a lot of conversations to rest in, in, in a lot of ways to win a, uh, you know with his third franchise and his 10th finals appearance. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And also everything that has gone into this year starting with you know, Kobe Bryant's death, and they're wearing the Mama jerseys tonight, from what I understand, and all that. I think that this is that this cement. He's already cemented, but it, it just finishes a cementing process in LeBron's legacy that is um, that that really is it will never be moved. You know, if if they get this done, which I expect them to. Anthony Davis, I won't think any differently about him. I will not think better about Anthony Davis for having won a title. It's good. Like, congratulations, you did it. But but this ain't yours, first of all, in the way that it's LeBron's. Yeah. And he's a great transcendent, all-pro, like, for sure, generational talent type of player. And he is great. And he's critical to this. I mean, this is, this is not to say it's not his championship. It is his championship. But it does nothing to me in terms of, oh, well, now that he got a championship, what do you think about Anthony Davis? I think about him the exact same thing I thought about him when he was on the Pelicans. That's what I think about him. I think he's a great player. Found himself in a much better situation. And that's the craziest part about if you are a superstar that is the best player on a team and then you fall short, particularly if you fall short in the brightest of spotlights and then you go win a championship elsewhere, you never get credit for it. Well, people, not, not people, if you're not the best team player but, on your team. Th- think about a guy like Clyde Drexler. Yeah. Clyde Drexler is remembered for when he won the MVP and led the Blazers to the finals only to lose to Michael Jordan. That's right. No one ever talks about how Clyde Drexler got a ring in Houston what, when he was there. <laughs> he was the second best player on that team, right? Well, At that time, he was maybe. I don't know about that. I, but, but, but he's a very good player. Great player. He was a good player on the yeah. Houston Rockets. So, I mean, it was yeah. Elijah Wan and his supporting cast. Yeah. But yeah. he was the most prestigious player. He was a way more recognizable player than Kenny Smith or Robert Ory or Matt Bullard or Eddie Johnson or whoever else was on those Rockets teams. Mm-hmm. And people just forget that. that that's That's the sacrifice that you have to make but i think lebron james is cutting down the nets tonight if you're going to ask me do the lakers win tonight i'm going to say yes i think they do too i'm not arguing that i just think that the the heat uh have have a a very real look at winning this game it's to tell new on it's 1029 espn radio hour one in the books hour two straight ahead huge night of football in the Garden City, especially at the AA level, we'll tell you who, we'll tell you what, and we'll hear from all three coaches of the AA teams next. 
Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 